Welcome to the IAOMS podcast series, Physician Wellness. In this podcast, I would like to introduce Dr. Maggie Ray. Dr. Ray is a PhD in clinical psychologist with over 25 years of experience. She has worked in various hospital and academic settings, providing clinical services and conducting research on mental health treatment. Since joining UC Davis, she's become a leader in the community around the issues of well-being and has worked throughout the medical school and hospital providing various resources and interventions around maintaining personal well-being. Welcome, Dr. Ray. It's so nice to have you here today with us. Thank you so much for having me. So I mentioned to you that we are embarking on a wellness series for this community. And this community is made up of members of the International Association of Oral and Maxillofacial Surgeons. Um, Our last series focused on COVID-19 and some of the things that our surgeons were seeing around the world and some of the stressors and uncertainties. And so we thought that this wellness series would be a nice um, step in the right direction after kind of, you know, this, this year of uncertainty and, and a lot of stress. Would love to pick your brain because I know you do so much work in this area and would really love to hear more about what you've learned um, in general about stress and burnout and then what you've learned over the past say, year in terms of, you know, some of the things that are going on with particularly healthcare providers and and physicians. So if we might first start by defining two terms, the difference between stress and how you would define that and how you would define burnout and the difference between the two. Okay, great question. And I think it is, I think your timing is really on on spot, if you will, about having this series now. Uh, We're all hopeful um, that we are moving toward a better place with regard to COVID. And so I'm spending a lot of time asking our providers, our students to pause for a moment, like we're doing right now today together, to think about um, how am I going to um, pivot and, and refocus as I head into this next phase. And I'll talk a little bit more about a topic I'm par- passionate about, which is sort of the idea of sort of post-traumatic growth. But I'll start by, by, by just focusing on your first question, which is the difference between um, stress and burnout. And um, you know, that's a tough one in many ways. But when we think about being stressed, or when I think about being stressed, it's, there's a lot going on. I'm overwhelmed. I'm, I'm juggling a million things, right? I, I have a, a deadline that I need to make, right? And, or there's, I've got to clean the house, do the PowerPoint, take care of the kids, whatever it might be, right? And then I'll get through it. Um, maybe if I shift, maybe if I give up one of the tasks I need to get done and just focus on one and then my stress level might go down. And usually it's temporary. And usually we can see sort of something, you know, in the front of us that helps us get through that stress, Burnout is actually a little bit different because it's a different energy. It's actually a lack of energy often. It's feeling depleted, disconnected, not engaged, right? When we think about the sort of three pieces of burnout, if you will, or elements of burnout that we all hear about, you know, the, the, the formal definitions, if you will, is emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, um, that feeling of not um, accomplishing or feeling that I'm not accomplished right? So you can see it has a different energy and more dried up, disconnected. And I'm trying to figure out how do I engage in this work? 
So that's a, a brief, brief sort of uh, cursory definition of the two. That's that's so helpful. And what are you seeing um, in terms of stress and burnout? You know, in the past year, maybe you can talk a little bit about that now. Um, just are you seeing more burnout than stress based on what particularly clinicians have been through? So that's a great question. And there's a lot of, um, there has been a lot of conversation, even a little controversy about uh, burnout in the pandemic. Um, we certainly see our, we, you know, you, all of us see that our healthcare providers, many of them who have lived through surges um, are, are exhausted and, um, and, and have been scared and frightened and um, overwhelmed, right? And many of them have felt very connected to their missions as providers, right? They have skills that they can bring. They have an honorable role in trying to help, you know, um, our, their patients, our communities um, to survive this. Um, and so that's, that's very, you know, interesting, right? Does that balance out the sense of burnout? Um, now, what that we've also seen, which is that's the the concept of moral distress. You know, our providers have been um, asked to do things that uh, go against all that they believe in as providers, meaning, you know, not allowing patients to die with family, right? Having to be concerned about um, how will they potentially ration ventilators, right? Um, so they've had to, to navigate the moral distress um, that goes with those decisions um, or the potential to make those decisions and also the anger that their healthcare system, our healthcare system, let them down that, mm. and, you know, that perhaps we, you know, we weren't where we needed to be as a healthcare system to, to navigate um, the pandemic. And are you seeing then that um, as we have vaccines that are being distributed and, um, there seems to be a light at the end of the tunnel, at least in, in most of the world. Are you seeing that or are you hearing that providers are coming out of that a bit? Absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, I'll just speak to my own institution. When, when I was when I was getting my vaccine and we're all, you know, sort of, you know, first of all, we're interacting. Right. You know, I mean, yes, our healthcare providers have been in the hospital and the clinics during the pandemic, for sure. But just the gathering of all of us together, there was this there's moment of just um, really just glee and hope. Right. And and, you know, we all understand we've got the variants. It's not like people are saying we're done, you know, pandemic check. No, not at all. But there absolutely is a sense of um, uh hope, right? And, and, and then what's happening now, which is kind of how I started this conversation with you is that, okay, where do we go next? Right? And one question we're asking all of ourselves is, what are we going to take from this experience forward that we've a learned about ourselves individually? What have we connected with individually that we want to, how we learned about ourselves, strengths that we didn't know we had? Um, have we reconnected with people in our world that, you know, we want to hold on to? Um, do we want to hold on tighter to the people in our world? And maybe as, as these, you know, this organization, very busy providers, wow, you know, maybe they want to, sh- maybe that's led to shifts in, in, in how much they want to work or the efforts they want to put in. So I think we're asking that question. We're also asking what our healthcare system is going to look like. Where, where did we, where did we fall short? 
right? And also, what are the things we want to take? Here we are on a Zoom call, right? It, are we going to take some of the telehealth and telemedicine forward with us? Is that going to perhaps for some improve the work environment, right? It will, it, in some ways, we, you know, I've heard and I've read, it's brought um, groups of, of providers together that, for example, Grand Rounds. Grand mm. Rounds, you know, if you could run over to the hospital and join a Grand Rounds, you're lucky. But now people, you know, I just did a presentation for a Grand Rounds in one of our departments and there was 80 people on the call. I was like, oh my gosh, why? Because all the providers throughout our different, you know, um, primary care network, you know, that, it would, that, you know, that it would be very hard for them to show up at the hospital. We all connected. So there will be things we have to, that's a very concrete example, but things that we want to stop and say, what, what do we want to take forward that, that we found helpful? Is that what you mean when you're talking about post-traumatic growth? Are those some of the elements of post-traumatic growth? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that, you know, the elements of post-traumatic growth, I think there, you know, we talk about it, um, you know, appreciation of things that we might not have, you know, as, as corny or cheesy as some of us might feel like that sounds. It's like, whoa, I appreciate, um, I've learned to appreciate things that perhaps I had um, not appreciated so much before. And I want to, can I hold that? Can I own that? Can I honor that going forward? Relationships with others, right? How, how has that, how has living through the pandemic impacted me, right? What, who do I value? What do I value? What relationships matter, right? As, as we all know, many of us have reached out and connected with people that we hadn't been connected with for a while. Will we maintain that? That will be interesting. Have we realized that that matters or not? I don't know. There's not one answer. Each of us will go through this individually. Um, Maybe it's opened up new possibilities, right? Maybe I've realized I need a different balance in my life or I've reconnected. I mean, you know, we, some of it's, it's, it's uh, fun to watch people who have, you know, connected to art, right? We, we see that on social media. Oh my gosh, I've been painting so much. I've, will, I, will you keep that going? Has that been something that you have connected with that you want to take forward? Did you, were you surprised by your ability as an artist? I don't know. Um, the strengths, Right. I do that a lot with people pre-pandemic, right? Stop for a moment and say, wait, wait, what strengths am I using to get through this tough time? And let's lead with strengths, right? Medicine often teaches us to analyze what's wrong and what's missing or what's diseased, what's ill. And we'll do that, but not on ourselves. If we're facing a difficult situation, I always say pause and think, you might not know every answer. You might not, you know, but, but what are you going to bring to the moment? your empathy, your compassion, your determination, your desire to learn. So think about that. And finally, some people really have um, had sort of spiritual awakenings too and connected on a spiritual level that, that either is a reconnection or a new connection. That's wonderful. And I, I think we can point to so many ways in which COVID sort of opened us up to new possibilities and, you know, whether it's um, healthcare providers finding a better way or for-profit companies, you know, developing a new product in the wake of a new need, uh, which I, I do hope will stay with us um, long after the pandemic. So one of the things that um, I know you and I have spoken about before is that according to studies, 50% of physicians burn out at some point and that those who do not talk about the connection with colleagues. Um, as a reason that they do not experience burnout. So, you know, we've all probably been a little more disconnected. Do you have thoughts on how uh, the surgeons might 
reconnect or how important that will be for them as they go through the remainder of the year? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Also, I, you know, I, yeah, you're remembering that I, I quote this study that I, I believe it came out of Germany from um, in 2013. Zwack, I believe, was the, was the first author. And I was I grabbed this study. Why? Because it said, wait, 50 percent burnout. We see that we see that number constantly. It's pretty consistent. Right. Forty to 50 percent. So wait a minute, what about the other 50%? You're absolutely right. So in that study, they interviewed the other 50%, right? So why? Um, we could spend hours arguing it could be a lot related to, um, you know, how they're wired, right? Um, where, you know, the, a lot of complicated factors. But when they looked at their work environment, you're right. It was the connection with colleagues and it was um, support. It was also having a safe space, if you will, to talk about insecurities, medical error, um, difficult cases, right? I mean, we know, we know quite well that, let's use that as an example. A surgeon goes into a case, it doesn't go as they hoped. Um, and when they spiral into that sort of isolation bubble with their um, angst, their sadness, their worry, their professional doubt, generally doesn't go well. Right. And I'm not saying you have to stand up in front of all your colleagues and, you know, and, you know, but to say, I need to reach out because that is, Deborah, one thing that has come out across the United States. And I really don't know the answer um, um, more internationally. One positive outgrowth in the medical world has been um, in the context of COVID has been an increased interest and focus on peer support. Um, all of us on the West Coast who um, learned a lot from the East Coast when they were in the thick of it, in the surge before we had our surge. Um, they, they, they recommended to us, get a peer support program if you don't have it. If you have it, you know, get it going, ignite it, um, advertise it. Why? Because we, we wanted people not to feel alone in this, in this process. And I hope that's something that, you know, will live beyond COVID. And it relates very much to what we're talking about, about burnout and having connection with colleague, colleagues. And I think it also leads to the idea of the culture and impacting the culture, right? So if you work in, in, a, in, a, in a group of, of surgeons where there's um, a connection with each other, value with each other, celebrating successes, um, you know, checking in, you know, that's going to most likely impact burnout. That's that's fantastic. And, and wise words. I know in speaking with many of the surgeons during COVID, one of the things that they said that they realized was how much they needed connection and uh, with family and, you know, colleagues, et cetera. And I, I've had a lot of people um, ask um, about, you know, well, do introverts react the same way as extroverts do? And my experience has been that even introverts are saying, I really crave human interaction, maybe in a different way, but, um, and maybe not to the magnitude that an extrovert might, but that, that it really has been an awakening for a lot of people. Absolutely. And introverts, you know, they, 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 they remind me, and I'm an extrovert, but they remind me too, that, um, uh, it's not that they don't want contact, but when they need to refuel, how they refuel is with, by taking away contact and having time alone. Right. So they still, have want connection and, and can be fueled by that. But when they need, when they get overwhelmed or they've had a busy day, you know, they won't be the ones probably who go out and, and, and have a beer with a bunch of friends, right? They will go home and kind of just be, 
just be. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So by way of um, helping some of those out there that might be worried, you know, uh, if they're, you know, if they're really experiencing stress, or if they might be veering off into, you know, really a state of burnout, what are some of the signs that that they should be looking for that would um, point to burnout over stress? Yeah, now, part of that's individual, right? And, and part of it is, you no, know, we all, you know, you and I probably have different ways of, you know, manifesting stress, right? Um, but I think some of the things that, that, that we see typically, one of them, you know, is increased irritability, right? And, and you know, I'll hear physicians or and providers say, wow, I, I can't believe I, you know, was that short with, with my colleague, or um, I really didn't give that patient um I, I, I really showed my frustration. That's not me, right? Mm-hmm. So we're looking, number one, for a change in our baseline, right? Like, it's, you know, our, so looking for a change in our baseline, that's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, I- increased irritability, right? Um, you know, sort of that, that dread that, that when you go in, the, oh, look at going into the next patient room. You know, lack of you know, sort of, wow, this is this an interesting case, or is this an you know, who's this patient? What is their what are they, what is their story? As in, no, but it's actual dread. So that that right. irritability, that dread, um, uh, we definitely look at, and we do also see some you know, decrease in sleep and um, uh, poor sleep hygiene, um, and also increased use of substances. Right, so finding just distraction and disconnection um, with sort of increased, um, you know, alcohol consumption. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, And then what do you think are some of the most productive ways that surgeons might work to combat the negative uh, effects of stress? You know, so it doesn't lead to burnout. I I know we talked about social interaction being one of those things. Are there other things that you would recommend or is it really an individual journey. Yeah, it is individual, right? Because we're all, you know, we're all unique and, and, and special, which is what I always like to think about all of us. However, there are certain things. And, and you know, and I, as I've said, as I've said to you, when we've chatted in the past, I, I, I look to the Stanford model uh, of, of clinician well-being to help guide me um, when I'm thinking about the answer to this question. You know, so one of them is the Stanford model, you know, looks at um, clinician well-being Um, in terms of a pie, right? So it's just not one thing. So we've got individual factors or individual resilience, if you will. We've got systems factors, and then we've got the culture of wellness. So when I, when, when someone asked me that question, I say, let's look at all three pieces of the pie because they all make a difference, right? I think most of the, the surgeons here might find that the system, if they had to identify what impacts their burnout and the data supports that, um, you know, systems factors, you know, are the greatest impact on, on our, our, our well-being or clinician well-being. You know, so it's, you know, it's work hours and workflow and EMR and, you know, OR time and, you know, all of those things, right? So I say, look at that. And I know a lot of times our, our providers don't have a lot of control in that area, but I always challenge them. Wait, we can look at. And I was talking to a group of surgery residents who challenged me on that. I said, "Yeah, I know you all are, you know, are residents number one, and also work in a in, in a system." You know, wait a minute. We have power over, for example, how we run our teams. Right? We can, mm-hmm. we can, we can, we can make some changes if we feel like it's, you know, our workflow isn't what we need it to be. Um, so I was like, "Thank you," as always, you know, challenging me. So that was great. So it's the system. 
Yeah. Then it's the the culture, which is what you and I talked about before, right? You know what 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 is the culture that you work in? Are are we respectful? Are we inclusive? Right? We you know one of the other things that has come out of this pandemic year is a greater um, identification of structural racism, right? And how that plays out in the world, but also in healthcare. It's not like it's new news, but some of the tragedies that we all faced this year in terms of being reminded starkly and painfully. So microaggressions, do you work in a department where you don't feel included, right? Is it, does it, does it not value diversity? That's a value. That's a wellness culture issue that needs to be addressed that can impact burnout. And there's a lot of important data in that area. And then, then finally, it's the personal. Again, there's no one answer. You know, it could be everything from, you know, um, meditation to time with colleagues to great food to whatever it is that, that, that keeps you going. Great. Thank you for that. That's um, really um, so important. And I love that Stanford WellMD model. I think it's simple, but it's it just really um, it really seems to be so on point. Um, a, a final question for you. And that is um, physician wellness vis-a-vis medical school training and, you know, those that are in their residency programs. Do you think that there is more of a focus on wellness now in medical school so that we will have a new generation of physicians that maybe have that a little more baked into how they go about, you know, their medical careers? Um, versus, you know, sort of the culture of the past, you know, sleeping in, you know, sleeping, standing up in broom closets and all the stories that we would hear. So do we think that's changing? And is there sort of light on the horizon with that? Well, I sure hope so. Um, I mean, the medical culture still has a long way to go, right? But we're seeing changes on many levels. So we'll start, you know, for example, the ACGME that oversees graduate medical education, so for the residents and fellows, right? So you know, they, what, 2017 um, required or have added five new program requirements on, on well-being, right? So access to mental health services, you know, uh, education on depression, burnout, and substance use for both residents and faculty, um, ability to leave, this is a biggie, during, during the workday to access uh, a medical or mental health care, right? Huge mm. changes, right? So, yeah. um that I said speaks very, very much to what you're talking about. On the medical school side, absolutely, right? So we're seeing changes in terms of um, a focus on the impact of the learning environment on well-being for our, our med students and, you know, everything from pass-fail, you know, to, you know, the switch in the step one score, um, which we could, people would argue, which we, we you know, in, in the direction on that one, but that was, you know, partly made because of, of the well-being of our students and knowing how much it was impacting them. Um, and then schools across the board are looking at wellness curriculum. Should that be mandatory? You know, and, and, and I think it's rare to find a school that is not offering some sort of uh, wellness programming, wellness curriculum, access to tools um, to promote well-being. And I think that we've seen a huge shift in that in the past five to 10 years. It'll be interesting to see, you know, again, post-COVID, if that takes even a more dramatic uh, path forward, right? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Uh, well, thank you, uh, Dr. Ray, so much for being part of the podcast today. This has been very, very informative and enlightening. We appreciate you sharing your, your thoughts and your wisdom with us. And um, again, this has been an interview with Dr. Maggie Ray with UC Davis. And um, again, thank you for, for being here today. And uh, we appreciate your time and energy. Thank you very much. Thank you once again for listening to the IAOMS podcast series. IAOMS members receive additional benefits such as access to the IJOMS, educational resources, reduced rates for conferences, and more. To join or renew your membership, please visit www.iaoms.org. Keep up to date with our weekly podcast by following IAOMS on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for the latest news. See you next week.